You are listening to the Genesis Podcast, a community of faith, love, and hope. As we look to the scriptures, it is our desire to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. Good morning. It's good to have you here with us. I'm glad you braved the fierce California storm and are here. It'll end by 3 o'clock, I think, today. Uh, But we are continuing to talk about uh, things that actually affect and hinder our lives, affect us and our humanity, our ability to live full lives, that affect our relationship with God. We, We talked about fear at the beginning and how fear limits us. Fear brings restraints to our lives, and whatever you do fear, you actually... Uh, allow to master you. And that's why the scriptures tell us that we are to fear God because he is the only one who really masters us. And when we fear the one who loves us perfectly, perfect love casts out all fear. And, And so really when you fear God, you are being set free from every other fear. We talked about anger last week and how anger has the ability to blind us and to affect us in so many ways. And today, I want to talk about worry. And so we're talking about worry. Anybody here worry? Any other of you lie, I guess, because you don't raise your hand. I want you to take a moment and I want you to text yourself what it is that you worry about? What do you worry about? What keeps you up at night? What are the things that haunt your mind? I want you to to write them down if you still kill trees and use pens and paper. Otherwise, I want you to go to the digital realm and I want you to send yourself a text. What do you worry about? Don't ask yourself the question in the text. Actually write it down, what it is that you worry about and send that to you. And let's get a a definition of worry, okay? Worry is give way to anxiety or an ease. Allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles. And the thing here is about allowing one's mind to dwell on these things. The etymology for the word worry actually comes from the word to strangle. Isn't that amazing? Don't you feel sometimes that you've been strangled with worry? that it's actually choking you. It it has that kind of effect on us because worrying is feeling uneasy, being overly concerned about a situation or a problem. And your mind and your body go into this overdrive as you constantly focus on what might happen. And you see, that's one of the keys to worry is worrying allows something that may happen in the future to affect your present. You only worry about something that may take place. You don't worry about things that have happened in the past unless they're going to affect your future. I'm worried that all those years of smoking may cause cancer. You see, the worrying isn't about the fact that you smoke. That's something that you did. The worry is about, well, I may have cancer because of all these things that have happened in the past. And so worry is putting focus and weight on something that has not yet 
taken place. And there's a subtle difference between worry and fear that I think is important because even though both of them are negative, fear is something that masters us. Worry is something that consumes us that we actually empower with our thoughts. And so fear kind of, you know, you might be afraid of the dentist drill, but now you're worried about going to the dentist that kind of dynamic. And even though they're both related to negative thoughts, fear might bring a type of submission, but worry brings anxiety and it brings stress. And where Scripture would tell us that we are to fear the Lord, Scripture never encourages us to worry. Because what worry is doing is, again, putting your focus in a negative way towards something that isn't yet a reality. And some of the things that worry does, how it affects our body. It's interesting that all these things that we've been talking about, whether it's been fear, whether it's anger, now worry, has actually a physical, a physiology to it. It's not just something that happens in your mind. It's something that starts there, but then it starts to filter all the way through your body. And because of this, because of the body's sympathetic nervous system to release stress hormones such as cortisol, you can tell I'm reading this because I don't know this normally, over a prolonged period of time, raised levels of these chemicals can start to have a toxic effect on the glands, nervous systems, and the heart, eventually leading to heart attacks, increased risk of stroke, and stomach ulcers. You get you so worried it starts to eat at you. You get an ulcer, heart attack, stroke because of excess of putting a focus on something that has yet happened. And because your body has tensed, ready to respond to the threat that you're feeling and thinking about, this muscle tension can turn into aches and pains, causing headaches, back pain, weak legs, and trembling. This tension can also affect your digestive system, triggering bouts of constipation or diarrhea. Either or, neither are good, okay? And so you start to have these effects on your physical being because of how you're thinking about something that is yet to happen. You also become more prone to infections. It's widely accepted that stress and anxiety can lower your immune system, making you more susceptible to picking up colds or serious illness. And so you worrying starts to destroy your body. It starts to eat away at you. It starts to have a physical effect on you. And you probably know that when you're worried sick. Right? What does that mean? Why I'm worried so much, it's actually making me sick. And so what do we do about this? I want to talk to you about this, and I want to talk about some things that I believe actually cause us to think about the things that have yet to happen in a way, in a worrisome way. And and so I want to talk a little bit about good versus perfect. And when I say the word perfect, I mean it in the sense 
of being without need of change. I'm not talking about a perfect like, oh man, that was the perfect pass. Okay, or, you know, those words were at a perfect time. It's not something in that regard. It's actually talking about things that are without any imperfection. And we get the word good from the Hebrews. The word is the word tob, T-O-B. And the word good is something that the Hebrews really talk about a lot. And we get the word perfection or perfect from the Greeks and from others as well. But those dynamics start to really shape us and how we think. And so turn with me first to Genesis 1, because I want to look at some of the areas where we see this word good and get an understanding and a feel for what it means to have this mentality that something is good. And and so we're going to talk about some of the verses where this happens. You know that Genesis is is giving this uh, account of God's interaction with you humanity. It's not a science textbook out to try and, and prove creation. What it is is trying to show the relationship between God and humanity and God's working in this creation, that we are not an accident, that we are here with the intention that God has designed us and made us in his own image. And we see in verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. The word there is tobe. Say, everyone say tobe. Okay, just keeping you awake here, okay? And he separated the light from the darkness. Jump down to verse 10. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters. He called the seas, and God saw that it was good. Wow, look at you guys. I didn't even say that, and you're just jumping ahead. Verse 12, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed and according to their kinds. And God saw that it was. Think about this. Here, this is good that that trees produce seeds according to their kind and the fruit have these seeds. And so there's this reproduction process that God has designed and he's saying that it's good but what is involved with that okay god created the tree and it grows but then for there to become another tree there has to be the planting of the seed there has to be the seed actually falling from the tree or the fruit falling from the tree the 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 fruit may be decaying and then the the seed going into the soil and then the dirt covering that or maybe being planted there and then that seed actually has to to go through a a deterioration process has to actually die so that another tree can sprout and this is good this is good this is all before the fall In verse 18, to govern the day and night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was so good. So now there's this dynamic of the light, the day, and the night. And it is good. Both the day is good and the night is good. And so we're getting a dynamic. And we talked about this when we went through Genesis, how there is this kind of this and then this. There are these things and they're both good. Verse 21. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing 
which, which the water teems and moves about it according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was... So you guys are waning on me, okay? You were real in it the first time, but now it's like, yeah, toe. Yeah. And God saw that it was... It was good. <laughs> Some of you very enthusiastic. Okay, verse 25. God made wild animals according to their kinds, livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Good, Tobe, that's good. I'll take either one. 27, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I will make your... Okay, everything that makes moves upon the ground. Verse 31. God saw all he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Notice something here. God tells them to be fruitful and multiply. So he's saying that there's going to be childbirth. Now, this is fresh in in my mind because I'm a new grandfather. But I have been in the delivery room three times. We have four children. I've been there three times. Twins, first time, just in case you're wondering. Well, that doesn't work. There is something pretty crazy about childbirth. And and even though in chapter 3, when there's the fall, God says that he is actually going to uh, multiply their pain in childbirth, the idea is that there was already pain there. It's just increasing. And and a lot of rabbis actually believe that the increase of pain wasn't so much the physical anguish, but it was that worrying, that mental anguish of what's going to happen. Is my child going to be okay? That now there is this doubt and concern, and so that there is going to be an increase in that pain. But there was already pain in childbirth. I don't know how there ever could not be pain in childbirth, okay? And I don't even deliver babies, all right? But before the fall, there is pain, and it is good. You see, this childbirth is an amazing thing. When... when you're, you're carrying that baby and you feel the baby moving in you and you know that the time has come and you start to have contractions, those labor pains that says, okay, I can't hold this baby anymore. And so your body starts saying, I've got to give birth, starts pushing the baby out. And it is the most wonderful thing, but it is a bloody thing as well. It is. I was there. First, the twins were cesarean. And I was there when they cut her and and took those babies out. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. And then after they got the babies, they got the placenta. Ugh. 
I'm like, what is that? Oh, that's a placenta. And they have to weigh it. I don't know why. You know, I'm like, oh, it just looks so bizarre. And it's crazy. And you see, it's not this neat, clean cut thing. You know, Eve didn't just say, oh, I'm going to have a baby. Boom, here's the baby. Boom, it's happened. No, there was the childbirth there was the same process. It was painful. It was bloody. And it was good. We have this. <laughs> you deliver a baby there or whatever. <laughs> we have this idea that if something is good, that there is no difficulty in it. We have this idea for there to be something good, that there has to be no hardship. And that's where we get this idea if there's something good, it has to be perfect. But you see, it was good the day, the night. It was good the seeds falling, dying, being buried. It was good the the pain, the labor, and giving birth. It was good. It's life. It's how life is. But perfection, it's an ideal. It's the supreme ideal. It's to be the ultimate. It's to be without flaw. And again, the Greeks established this, this idea of that competition to be the ultimate. The Olympics came from there. Perfection is that which cannot be improved, which also cannot be obtained or maintained. Okay, that human physique. You know, I I want it to be perfect. And so they would have their statues, you know, Adonis or, you know, Athena, these gods and goddesses that were supposed to have these perfect physiques that, that were unchanged. The unchanging statue, the photoshopped picture on People magazine. Why do they have to photoshop? Because we want it to look perfect. We want it to look without flaw. We don't want to see really the truth, we want to see our ideal of the truth, of what we think perfection is. And so now what's happening is our idea of it's got to be perfect is the only way. And if there's pain involved, if there's dirt, you know, it said that man had to subdue the ground. He had to work. Work was good. Where do we get the idea if you work, it's bad? Maybe your job, right? But work is a good thing. Getting your hands dirty was a good thing. The pain in childbirth was a good thing. Our ideal is I want to have kids, but I want to have no pain. That's the idea. I want this perfection. I got to tell you now, it's not going to happen. If you're thinking about it, stop. That ideal is an imagination, and it's not real. See, good has a dynamic built into it. There is change. There are the seasons. There is growth. Good food. Food that is organic, food that is natural, food that is good for you has a short lifespan. The the shelf life of good food is only a few days, maybe a week or something, and then it starts to decay. It starts to go bad. If it's going to do something to help your body, you have to eat that food right away. Because the food that is good 
doesn't last. The food that isn't good, Twinkies, right? They're apocalyptic, right? You can have those forever. You can have a Twinkie last time. When is that Twinkie? I don't care about the date. I've had it for two years. I can still eat it. Why? Because it doesn't have anything really good in it. You see, the dynamic of that change is actually something that is good. It's something that produces good. Good grows. Good is harvested, and then it's eaten, and then produces life through the energy it gives. Good is bloody. Good is messy. Good is beautiful. You see, being in that delivery room and seeing all the blood and and being just like, oh man, this is intense, paled in comparison to now having those children. Because that life is so much that all that you went through just made it even more. The beauty of those things. And this would be a good time to point out and share that Bill and Lola are going to be grandparents, so if you want to talk to them about it. And I know other people are expecting, but I'll let them share that at their time. I don't want to divulge news. I didn't get the permission, but you know who you are. Um, And so this idea of good, it's something that is dynamic, perfect. This ideal is static. It doesn't transition, has no vitality. So how does this fit in with worry? This idea of good, this idea of perfect. When we were raising our children, we had this ideal of what we wanted our kids to be. You know, we wanted them to be good Christian kids. And I want to open up and confess to you some of my problems in in this area of ideal and perfection and what we expected. You see, for a long time, I believed that the best thing your kid could become was a pastor. That was like the ultimate. If you're a pastor, God's calling is on you, and that's the best thing career you could ever have. And so this was my ideal. I wanted my kids to be pastors. I no longer believe that, by the way. And I'm a pastor. That's why I believe that. (laughs) This idea that that would be perfect. Or, Or maybe, you know, if it wasn't a pastor, maybe your ideal is I want my kid to be a doctor. I want my kid to be a lawyer. I want my kid to be successful in these things. I have this ideal of what I want them to become. And then worry comes in when you don't think your child is going to become the ideal that you have for them. You see, but there is no difference in character whether your kid is a doctor or a mechanic. Oftentimes when I ask, what do you want for your children? Do you want them to be successful? Do you want them to be happy? Or do you want them to be good? What's most important to you as a parent? Well, the idea is I want all of them. I want my kid to be successful. To what extent? Can they be successful but be a thief? 
I want my kid to be happy. At what extent? He's happy, but he's a drug addict. He abuses people, but he's happy. Or do you want your child to be good? And now the ideal changes because it depends on the life that they're living that's going to have the ups and the downs and the struggle. You see, we want for our kids, I want my child to become an accountant because they get good money and it's safe, but my child joins the military. Now I'm worried. What are you worried about? What might happen? I want my my kid to become a, a dentist, but now they've joined the police department or fire department. Now I'm worried. Why? Because of what might happen. My ideal for them has now been interrupted with the push and pull of life, with the nitty gritty, the things that happen that I have no control over. You see, the idea of perfection is static. I can set it up, it's there, and I don't have to worry about it, but that is not life. Life has the day, the night, the seasons, the mess, the blood, and it's good. The ideal starts to become the place where the worry develops and grows. See, perfect either is or it isn't. And when it isn't what we want, we get stressed. Good, on the other hand, is a process. It's the potter digging into the clay, cutting off some of it, putting pressure on it, shaping it to become something else. That's good. Applying the pressure. And because worry is about the future, it's kind of an arrogant thing to think that we actually would know what is best for the future. You know, there's an old Chinese proverb about this farmer. And this horse came running into his rice field and got stuck in the mud. And so he got to keep the horse. And someone said, oh, well, it's good you've got the horse now. And then the horse ran away, and his friend said, oh, that's bad. And the farmer said, well, how do you know? Well, because your horse ran away. But how do you know it's bad? A few days later, the horse came back, and it brought another horse. Oh, that's good. The horse got another horse, and now you've got two horses. That's a good thing. The farmer says, well, how do you know? And then the son of the farmer got the second horse, and so he had a horse to ride on, and so... He was riding on the horse. He fell off and broke his leg. The neighbor said, oh, that's bad. He broke his leg. And the farmer said, how do you know? Well, because he broke his leg. But how do you know it's bad? The emperor in that region came by and they were at war. So they were taking every young and able man to war. But they couldn't take his son because his leg was broken. So that's good. You see, this idea of Knowing the future is really kind of arrogant for us. You know, my kid lost their job. Oh, that's bad. How do you know? Well, he decided to go back to school now that he has the time. Oh, that's good. How do you know? 
Oh, he got a career. He, he's really successful in this business and he started his own business. Oh, that's good. How do you know? Now he's got ulcers. The, the, the business and the work is stressing him out and it's killing him. Oh, that's bad. How do you know? He had to quit his job because of the stress and he, and he took a job as, you know, just a, a salesman in a small company. Oh, that's bad. How do you know? Now he met the love of his life, has children's living happily. Oh, I guess it was good. You see, good has these seasons. That what seems bad sometimes, like the seed dying or the blood at that birth of the pain, actually it can be something that turns into good. The problem is, is when we start to see the static and we want the ideal and we start expecting our lives to be like this. I want to meet the guy who's like this, this, and this. And you have the ideal. And then guess what? <laughs> he fails to be that guy. Shock, right? Not to the guy. <laughs> he knew it all along. He was, he was lying to you all along, making you think you were, I wanted you to think I was that, but I knew I wasn't. See, the ideal is what lets you down, and now you're worried because they're not what you expected to be. But the good part is the process, the moving along. Good doesn't stress because the process isn't over. We worry because situations don't meet our ideal, unrealistic expectations, feeling that we need to change everything to make it perfect. I want it to be controlled. I want it to be manageable. And when it's not, I have to deal with it. Now, we have to deal with things in various ways. If you come down with cancer, you have to decide if you're going to go through the chemotherapy or what things you're going to do. I can't tell you how many people I know who have had cancer and at the end of their battle said, you know, this was a good thing for me. The ideal, oh, I'm going to live forever. That's not going to happen. I'm never going to get sick. That's not going to happen. And the good is transitioning with the things that happen in life in a way that's going to be beneficial. And that's why Paul could say in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What's the good is that God is there. That future that you don't know, that's uncertain, that, that mess that you're going through, at the end of it, God is there and he is at work so that it is good. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Okay, there it is. Don't worry about your life. What? My life? Well, that's all I have. How am I going to live? What am I going to do? There's that worry, that future of what is going to happen. Don't worry about your life. What you will eat, drink about your body, and what you will wear. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothes? Everyone say, is it, Right? I know, he's getting home, right? Some of you ladies are like, what do you mean? Life is more. We talked about this once before. Isn't life more? 
Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? No, actually, the reverse happens. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Faith now becomes a part of why we worry. We have little faith. Verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I read an article about a, a, a guy who was in a skiing accident, got hit by the ski, and, and, and suffered amnesia. He received a closed head injury that was pretty severe, and literally he would have to ask his wife to tell him about their kids because he couldn't remember what had happened. He had to tell, have her tell him, how did we meet? Because he didn't remember how they had met. It was both terrifying and surreal to him as he had to deal these things, but it was also very illuminating because all his brain could handle was the present. It didn't have the capacity to think much about the past, which is where regret comes from, and it didn't have much space to think about the future where worry comes from. And because of this concussion, he could only be present in the moment, and the moment wasn't just enough it was more than enough it was too much it felt like all of life was plugged in on fire that humanity was humming and vital can you imagine only being able to think about right now idea of not being able to remember the past or worry about the future it's frightening but it's almost enticing to not have to think about all those things that have happened to me and how they're going to affect my future, to just be living right now in this moment. And that's really what Jesus was saying. Today has got enough on your plate. Handle today instead of worrying about tomorrow. You see, what we need to do is see that this ideal, having the idea of I'm going to have a perfect life. Instead, I'm going to live a good life that comes with its ups and its downs and is messy and is bloody and is difficult and it's hurt and it hurts. It's hard sometimes. I'm going to live this life instead of having that ideal. Someday life is going to be without trouble, without problem, without any pain. No more difficulty. Instead of having this good, I'm going to get to perfect, let's have this good and God is in my future. You see, the reason I don't have to worry about that is because God is already there and he is working on my behalf. That's where faith comes in. That's why faith is so important. The human spirit was not designed for worry. 
It eats at us. It destroys us. We were designed for faith. And remember, you always put faith in something. We were designed to have faith in God who is in that future. So when the things happen that you can't account for, I didn't expect the company to go out of business and I got laid off. I'm not given into the circumstance. God is still in my future. I do not have to worry. I have to make decisions. I have to be responsible. But I don't have to worry. Paul said again in Romans 8:38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither things present nor things in the future. You see, God is there. Put your trust in him who is already there and you don't have to worry about today. And when you start to get strangled by the things that are happening in your life, when you get strangled with worry over your kids and what's going to happen or the doctor's visit and what's going to be happening, instead of thinking of this is the life I want, understand that the life you have can be a good life with all its ups and downs. With all its struggles, God is still there and he is there tomorrow. And so that makes today good. Stop trying to have what's perfect and ideal. Instead, embrace the God who is good. Let's pray. Father, I am so, so guilty of worry. It consumes me. It keeps me up at night. It dominates my thinking so many times. And Lord, I am challenged. If I really have faith in you, then why am I worrying about what has yet to happen instead of trust you who is already in the future? So, Lord, I pray that all these things that we have written down and texted to ourselves, the thing that we are worried about, this idea of what we want it to be and are afraid it's not going to be, I want, Lord, us to take that thought and put you there to allow you to be in our future. And the hard things that are happening now, the difficult things that we find ourselves in, the struggle that is taking place today, whether it be emotional trauma, whether it be physical trauma, Lord, whether it be financial difficulties, whatever the stress is today, may we recognize the seasons of life that they are good, they aren't permanent, that they change, and you are in our future as we pursue you with our lives. I want you to do me a favor, and whatever 
you texted already, I want you to send yourself a text, another one. And I want you to send that God is already there. Whatever you're worried about the future, I'm worried if my kids are going to be healthy or they're going to be sick, I want you to text God is already there. I'm worried about this job, if I'm going to get it, if I'm going to lose it, if I'm going to keep it, God is already there. I'm worried about this relationship, if it's going to make it, if it's going to have what it takes to last, I want you to text God is already there. And I want you to take that thing that has been making you worry and I want you to see God is already there. Let's stand together. I want to challenge those of you who do not have a faith in God that your future, you feel, is empty because there is no God waiting for you there. I want to challenge you to put God there in your future, to invite him to be a part of your life and a part of your future. And for those of you who have faith in Christ, I want to challenge you to not worry about tomorrow, that if God is for you, who can be against you? And may you live in the understanding that God is good. God bless you guys. Have a great day, teachers. We appreciate you. Don't leave without us letting us let you know. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.